I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. What is good, Celtics fans? Happy Friday. I nearly forgot what day it was then. Can you see? I'm already in Friday mode. First home win of the season. Great home win. Excellent defense. Revenge game in the books. Uh, to be quite honest with you, if the Celtics didn't win this game, I would have been rather sad. But they did, so we don't need to worry about that. As usual, on a Friday, I'm joined by Mr. Will Weir. And sometimes I get confused for Will By. How are you doing today, Will? <laughs> hey, that's the whole point of the uh, of the handle. Make sure make people think that I'm Mike Will By, but really, it's just your boy Will Weir here. But what's going on, Adam? Man, finally, finally got a home win. Three weeks into the season, Celtics <laughs> get their first home win. Yeah, I mean the way I'm looking at it is. It could have been worse. I mean, look, from my outlook, it's the first home win, but it's not the first win of the season. So it's not like you're in a <laughs> yeah. real bad position. I mean, last week I said it the same thing. Like if you're an Indiana Pacers fan, you were going for a really tough time. And if you look around the league at the moment, consistency has been an issue everywhere. But a bunch of good teams have struggled to kind of string together like consistent performances. So, you know, looking at it from a positive spin, when you look at the, and I think um, I think it was Marcus Smart that said this yesterday in his post-game presser, when you look at the amount of new guys that have come in, learning a whole new defensive system, multiple different ways of playing defense, and then trying to piece all that together while having to play games, like you were bad, like I think, I think we kind of, it, it feels worse than what it actually is when it's like in real time. But then when you get to look back at it and you're like, yeah, they lost a few games and, you know, we've played 11. There's another 71 to go. I don't really feel as bad about it now as what yeah. I did two, one, two weeks ago. Oh, for sure. I mean, part of that's the the curse of expectations, you know, right? We, we we almost set ourselves up for failure because we were so excited. It's, you know, last year was such a frustrating season for multiple reasons. COVID, you know, the roster, Kemba, injuries, whatever it was. It, it was a frustrating season. There's, there's no beating around that bush. But you change out, you know, Stevens moves to the front office, ages out, you get a new head coach, you bring in some new players, you bring in some excitement, you know, and then you kind of set yourself up to to be let down when in all reality, it probably wasn't fair to have those expectations with all of that change being combined together. And this was probably something that should have been a little bit more realistic. But yeah, to your point, the world was the sky was falling, you know, what a week and a half ago. And now we're not quite back to where we need to be, but you can see the road. You can see the path that's laid out. One game under 500. You see a couple of the games that are coming up. Obviously not ideal JB being out, but things are feeling like they're they're getting back to, to where they need to be. And when you look at the standings, the standings to your point that you were making a moment ago, you know, we're playing the Bucks on Friday. They're 500. You know, they're the same record as the Raptors who we just beat the night before. And right now, I mean, we're roughly about three weeks into the season. Would you have expected to see the Chicago Bulls and Washington Wizards as your one and two seed in the Eastern Conference? So it's early. Things are still taking shape. Yeah, I mean, the one thing for me is I really wish we played the Bucks a week ago. Like, they've been dealing with a ton of injury issues. Like, Giannis was out for a hot minute. Drew Holiday missed quite a bit of time. Chris Middleton missed time. Brooke Lopez has been out for a hot minute too. So, like, they were going in with, like, Shemi Ojale is one of their core pieces of their rotation. Shemi's like, getting you, big rotation minutes with them. Right yeah, they now. had no, they had no choice. So, and now like you're coming up against them tomorrow. Giannis is back. Drew Holiday is back. 
Chris Middleton will be playing possibly. I think is Middleton back? Okay, I wasn't sure yet. I yeah. think like I think he's like a like probable or questionable. He's, he's on that border, right? Of, yeah, of when so he's he, eligible to come back. Yeah. yeah. Brook Lopez is out, but you know, two at least two of the big three are gonna be playing in that game. And then you're like, man, if this had just been a week earlier, it would like you would have been feeling real good about yourself. Do you know what I mean? Because Boston should have like so I get it, like, but at the same time, you can only beat what's in front of you. So this, this is the tip version of the books that are being put in front of you. If you look at what the Celtics have done over the last like week, week and a half, they've had four games. They've beat um, in their three wins. They held each opponent under ninety points. Like we're talking nineteen nineties level scoring. That's how like stringent the Celtics defense has been. Okay, the Dallas Mavericks game at this point, if we're talking this small sample size, is the one outlier. And so it should be when you've got Luka Doncic on the floor. But so, even with that, Adam, if you take if you, if you really just look at that as the first half and you and you separate those two halves, that second half defensive effort from the Celtics lines up with these last four games. Yeah, it's really just that first half, and then Luka, 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 of Luka. course, hit the Luka Lex Luger. Remember Lex Luger, the wrestler. I remember Lex Luger. Used to, used to do the torture rack, yeah, and he had he had the he had the muscle on top of the muscle. Do you remember? Yeah, it was, it was yeah. weird, man. <laughs> Yeah, there's definitely no steroids involved with that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all natural Lex Luger. Um, but yeah, but then at the end of the game, Luca was just being Luca. Like the shot was was a very Luca shot that a guy of his caliber makes. But I really think if you also add in that second half defensive effort, it's these last, you know, eight halves or seven of them that you can really look to and say yeah. that this team defensively, at least offense still got some stuff to work out. And well, well, I mean, that's a process. But defensively, this team is certainly turning a corner. And I think a lot of that has to do with learning learning that switching system, learning how Udoka actually wants them to play. So, like, the first few games, they were literally switching everything. They were switching actions that just did not require to get switched. Like, it was uh, some soft switches, which is where you switch without needing to get switched. Uh, they were not really running peel screens. Like, uh, a peel screen is basically where you come... Well, I don't even know if you call it a peel screen. But anyway, it's where you come in off the corner, a big comes in off the corner, and basically scrams a guy off the a, a small off a big in the paint, right? They weren't really doing too much of that. Now you look, they're a lot more judicial in when they switch. Like it's very much contact based. If there's no contact, there's no switch, which is basically like the prerequisite for when mm -hmm. you do switch on defense. They're a lot more um, stern in the post, so they are peeling off more. They are making sure that smalls don't get stuck on bigs in the paint. And they're just pressuring real high up into the perimeter, pressuring those passing lanes. They're not giving an inch. Footwork's been great. I mean, there was a possession yesterday, and I wrote about this if anyone's read the article I put out there, where um, I can't, it was Delante Mon Monroe. I can't remember who it was, but someone ran a V-cut, which is where you cut upwards in a straight line, and then you turn and you cut downwards, in, so it makes the shape of a V. And um, he got a bunch of open space. Fred Van Vliet hit him with an entry pass that got him right in the paint. And Al Horford like reacted so quickly, slid his feet, got right underneath him. That possess like that uh, that what would have been an easy two a week and a half mm -hmm. ago was just absolutely killed in an instant. And I think it's moments like that, it's that level of intensity and how switched on these guys have been that's really been impressive. And to make it more impressive. It's not just when they're trying to get back into games, which is something we're used to seeing from them. This is like this game against Toronto. It was like the opening tip. Bang, that aggression's there and it's there to stay bar like a, a bit of a wobble in the third quarter. 
Yeah, and that and that more had to do with the offense than it really did the defense. It was it was being sloppy on offense, leading to easy buckets or easy opportunities in transition. And you know, I was rewatching the game today before we we came on the podcast. And to your point, one of the things that I noticed is the communication of switching, even without there being a screen, but there being different matchups where you want to do essentially what we talked about last time where Brad Stevens used to do this with Isaiah Thomas and Kemba off the ball where it's scram get them out of there get the proper matchups you can see just their level of communication has improved so much from the beginning of the season to where it is right now and we kind of theorized or hypothesized about this at you know when we were very alarmed over the first couple games where you know maybe maybe it is just a, a woosah as we talked about we take a deep breath just give it a minute let it let it play itself out and you can see here they're getting much more comfortable on that end and while the offense is still going to be a little bit of a work in progress you can see where you know or where or why Ime it really really loves with JB out right now going with that Dennis Schroeder Josh Richardson Marcus Smart Jason Tatum and Lob Williams lineup because of the versatility because of the aggressiveness because of the way that they're working together that you can see why he really loves going with that lineup right now over these last couple of games I mean you talk about communication and that's something that like really sticks out to me I don't know did you watch the presses yesterday uh, I caught a few of them. I didn't. I didn't catch all of them. To be fair. So one that sticks out to me is Josh Richardson's press press conference. Let me pull up the quote. I've got the quote right here. So he was asked like, "What's what's been working on defense? Like who you know? Like basically who who's been a big catalyst for this defensive improvement?" So he's like, "Yeah, intensity and communication." He and then he goes on to say, "I think Rob's been doing a great job of quarterbacking the defense. He's calling switches, calling out coverages. Marcus Smart is obviously being Marcus Smart coming out and." Like in the Raptors game, he came out in the third, swayed the momentum of the game, and Richardson went and told him that. But the thing that got me was like, Rob Williams is now being the vocal leader on that yeah. defensive end. You know, he's the one that's calling out switches, calling out when when to change coverages. And then in Rob's press conference, one thing that really interested me was he was he Rob was asked about defense and what's how these new guys are kind of gelling in. And Rob started talking about, which is something new to me, he was talking about the defensive coverages by what Udoka would call out to get that coverage set up. And that's quite rare that you'd hear that. So he was like, oh, it may not always be 15. 15 must be one of their defensive coverage. Yeah. It may not always be red. Well, red must be another defensive coverage. It may not always be 14 and 13. So like, he's, like Rob's not even thinking in, it may not be switch, it may not be drop, it may not be... Uh, zone. Rob's just thinking in defensive coverage calls, so his brain must always be like, hey, we're switching to 15, now we're switching to red, and having someone that's vocal like that, that's calling out what, like the, the nomenclature of what you're being yeah. trained in during the gym, like that's huge for a team because as soon as you hear red, like you've played organized sports, you know that if someone shouts out a plate, you shout out horns, bang, I'm expecting two guys to come on either side of the screen. Yeah. It's just easier because it's so short and snappy. So uh, that's a big improvement for me personally to see from Rob because a few, like, you know, 18 months ago, we were worried whether this guy was ever going to stop biting on pump fakes. And now he's ver ver verbalizing and vocally leading an entire defense. That's a huge jump in, uh, yeah. let's, in let's, recognition. Let's just talk about Lob for a minute, man, because he was so unbelievable in that game last night. From start to finish, he had his handprints on every aspect of the game, from setting the tone, from keeping the pace, to closing it out. Lob Williams was everywhere within that game. Uh, and it, it really is impressive to see kind of his growth. You know, to your point, there were a couple 
flags with him that I think we as we as fans and analysts were a little bit worried about the health being number one. And then number two, he had some growth to go with his basketball IQ and knowing, you know, not even just the proper coverages, but but even at times where he would get uh, a little over um, a little over eager when it comes to, to leaving the floor and going for the big block shot. And you've seen so much growth with him over this year, especially with him getting the nod in that starting role and being ultra confident in his place on this team and where and what he needs to do and where he needs to be. It is making a world of difference for this team, what he's producing and the fact that he's playing 30 minutes a game. I was hoping for it to get 25, 26. If we, if we hit 25 to 28 was kind of the range I was hoping to get from Rob Williams this year, right now he's hitting over 30 minutes a game. And you know, as long as that body holds up, he is going to end up being an absolute steal with the contract extension that Brad Stevens got earlier this offseason. I mean, I'm being quite genuine when I say this. Like, if he stays healthy for 90% of the season, he's a leading, most improved candidate. He has to be. Yeah, absolutely. He's got to be in the conversation. I will say, though, every every time he hits the floor, I do hold my breath just a little bit. Oh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> There was a moment in the third quarter last night where I think uh, he came up and Scal started talking about he was, you know, you, you saw him fall and then this, then he kind of went off screen as as they followed the play going down court. And you could hear Scal talking about Rob kind of rubbing his calf or something. And there's always there's always a little recoil that I have when I when I when I see something like that, I do a little, little squirmish, a little squeam, uh, you know, just when every time Rob's I am always a little worried, but. So far, he's holding up, and he seems to be seems to be doing well. But I think that's going to be something that just kind of goes along with him throughout his career. That you're going to be a little worried about it, but when he's out there, he's absolutely a big, big time difference maker. Yeah, and his rebounding has been in, immense. I mean, this yeah. was the second time. So, coming into this game, his career high in offensive rebounds was six, and he'd done that three times. The most mm-hmm. recent one was when we played the Hornets back in October. So he he recently matched his career high in offensive rebounds. Come against the Raptors, he sets his new a new career high in offensive rebounds, pulls down eight. So like he's understanding his role more. He's choosing when to explode. He's not exerting that energy on trying to block every jump shot. Yeah. He's using it in a in a far more controlled fashion and getting the results because of that. He's fighting to keep balls alive, and I think he's a. Uh, one of the things that's really impressed me is even when he's not getting his hands on the on the rebound, he's he's knocking them back out towards the perimeter on offense as well. That's keeping plays alive. That may, you know they're not really being attached to his box score. It's like the Tyson Chandler play a little bit is what I, is what it reminds me of. Where Tyson Chandler was was really good at at that tip out where he couldn't get the rebound, but he could tip it back out to get yeah. it out to his teammates. I think Rob Williams getting really good at that, and I love that development of his game just to keep him active, keep the keep the team active, and give us second chances. And he's getting second chance points as well. Yeah. This is the most important thing, right? Like he he's just got this way of like beating any box out and getting into a good rebounding or putback position. He's just slippery a little bit off ball. Uh, really, really impressed with him. And I've, I don't know what it is, but every time I see him interact with that Jeff Twist, who must be like one of the Celtics PR guys, like you see him sometimes he comes on and he talks, he's like, yes, Twist, what's going on, man? Like, when he, <laughs> like he just looks happy. So that's cool. He did it in this press conference that just went, yeah. um, that, from yesterday, which is interesting. But then defensively, he's doing the same things, right? Like he's switching onto the perimeter. He, he's not getting blown off, like blown by. He's not really getting beat off the dribble. When he is, he's forcing guys to alter their shot because he's so capable of blocking from behind. 
Yeah, I think he's become an integral part of this. Like, if he can stay healthy, if these injury issues are genuinely in the past, or at least they've got to a point where they're manageable, so you don't have to miss like long periods of time, then the Celtics have got, as you said, a, a, like a bargain contract, but yeah. they've also got their center position tied up for the next three, four, five years. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and he's still growing and developing to your point of those, you know, second chance points. I've even seen just in the 11 games that Celtics have played this year, the first handful of games throughout the season, he was getting his hands in there. He was getting active on the offensive rebounds. But as soon as he got it, he was looking to kick it back out. He was looking to reset the offense. Over the last five or six games, he started to look to score with aggression when he gets that ball, whether it's him coming and immediately dunking it right off the catch or if it's him getting the ball and then going right back up with it to get contact, get to the free throw line, get his, get, get, get his, you know, and there's times where he was being a little too passive. And so just from the start of the season to where we're at now, from the first three or four games to the 11th game, you've seen that growth. And I think a lot of that has to do with just the confidence in him that you know he knows that he's getting from, from Ime. I mean, we've talked about it on this show before. Him and Al, to me, are the most consistent Celtics. And the, over the first 11 games, those are the two most consistent Celtics that we've had from start to finish so far within this year. And I don't even think it's close. And I think the you know the belief that Ime has in Lob is becoming very apparent, and that's helping him to grow as a player as well. Yeah, I mean it's definitely one of those like where you feel like someone's got your back, you're always going to give 110, percent right? Like that's that's the mentality I kind of feel that Rob's kind of playing with at the moment. But I also think he's benefiting a bunch off having off having Al Horford at the four. Yeah. I think that Al Horford's presence there, you know, it's really opening the floor up for Rob to be able to like snake into post position, snake into the weak side dunker, get opportunities where teams have to help off of Rob to try and close down Al or close down Jalen or close down Jason. It's just creating dump off opportunities. Obviously that that like hmm, connection, I think we'd have to call it between him and Marcus Smart's beneficial. I'd mm-hmm. like to see Schroeder reward Rob like more. I think that Rob sets a bunch of screens for Schroeder that doesn't really get rewarded, but Schroeder is what Schroeder is. I think he's. <laughs> I started laughing just bringing up the name Dennis Schroeder just because of what a wild ride that that man is. The dude is he's organized chaos. He's controlled chaos. <laughs> yeah. It's like it's like having a tornado in a jar and choosing when to open the jar and when to close it back <laughs> up, right? Because for every two amazing plays that he gives you, like with the rim pressure, beating guys off the dribble. He'll give you three or four boneheaded plays, and you're like, "Man, like, and you wanted how much last season? How I know, much did you? I know. And but, last night was littered with those bonehead plays. Eight turnovers last night, which honestly at times was really hard to watch. But then to your original point, you know, I was rewatching the game, and I could still go ahead and cut you out, you know, five or six clips. And if I just showed you this as Dennis Schroeder's game, you'd be like, "Man." Schroeder had a really nice game. Those were some nice plays that he made. I was watching a play in the first half where it was an inbound dribble handoff set off between uh, him and Al Horford, where Horford gives him the ball as he's coming around. He gets into the lane, has a nice spin move to draw two defenders, and then has a beautiful kick out to Al Horford for a wide open mid-range jumper. And it's like, oh, that's why I really like Dennis Schroeder. He draws attention. He puts pressure on the rim. He can get guys open looks. He can score for himself. 
And then as you watch that game and you see some of the turnovers and part of that, let's give credit to the Raptors for part of it because they are long. They are, you know, aggressive. They're very switchable. Celtics took advantage of their lack of height last night. And that was a big part of the win, which is why we're talking so much about Rob Williams. Uh, but Dennis Schroeder was really bothered by that length. And, and you could tell with some of the plays that he was making, it was it was, you know, let's go back to Ime's word. It was mind boggling. But at the end of the day, he still ends up with 20 points. He goes two of three from the three-point line, and he's eight of 15. And at the end of the day, it's, it's points that we really need, especially with JB gone. He really is kind of the second scorer on this team behind Jason Tatum. And I'm completely fine with some of the boneheaded players I am. And I agree, you need the points. And where else are they going to come from if they're not going to come from Schroeder? Just because of how quick Schroeder is off the bench you know he, he can just turn the jets on turn them off his change of pace change of direction are both excellent but what I would like is like hey if you turn the ball over two or three times you don't get ball handling responsibilities for the next few minutes we're going to put it back in Tatum's hands Tatum had five assists in the first half only two in the second mm-hmm. Schroeder was dumb a bit more ball dominant in the second half of the game and I think that that's fine. He's a point guard. But if you two free turnovers, you should lose ball handling responsibilities for a two, three minute stretch, just as a little punishment, right? Yeah. Just just a way of keeping guys in check. I still don't like that mid-range jumper. I don't like the fact that he pulls up from the elbows whenever the, the opportunity arises. Like, dude, you you are so quick that you'll get into the rim at will. Why are you settling for that elbow jump shot? I know that's your spot. I know that's where that comfortability and that, that feeling safe kind of comes from because the defense is going to give it up. But the pressure the rim, man, that's what you're good at. I don't want to see these mid-range. You're, you're not that guy. Leave yeah. that to Tater. Do you, you, don't, you don't have it in front of you, what his numbers are from, from that mid-range. Because, you know, I, I'm with you. I'd prefer him to go all the way to the rim and continue to put that rim pressure. But it is a shot, and it's, it's after having watched him for years that you know that shot's coming. It, it feels a little bit like, you know, which isn't a great comparison for him, but what I'm saying, it feels a little, at least right now, it's not a little Russell Westbrook-y, where Westbrook has that that little mid-range pull-up. It feels like it's from from that school of a, of basketball. Uh, but I, I don't know what he shoots on it. I know it's not the best shot, but I do feel like he hits a, a decent amount, enough of them, but I'd have to look at the numbers. I don't know if you have that in front of you, Adam. We'll do in a moment. I'm just getting them up as we speak, actually. It's annoying. Okay, so we're going to go from all mid-range, well, long mid-range because we're talking the elbow. So in terms of frequency, 17% of all of his, all of Schroeder's offense is coming so from So a little, little shy of one-fifth, yeah. Yeah, and then if we look at accuracy, he's hitting 20%, 27% of those shots. Yeah, I take back my comments. So, in, so <laughs> I mean, it's obviously a really small sample size right now, yeah. um, excluding garbage time. Long mid-range is what we're looking at, which is 14 feet from 14 feet to the three-point line. So we're talking like, you know, the free throw line and above, which yep. is where they're coming from. They're like free throw line adjacent. Um, he's shot 20, he's took 26 non-garbage time shots, landed seven. So a lot, when you consider the fact that it is 17% of his offense, which is the 76 percentile among guards, and he's only hit 27% of them. Yeah, that's like, not good. I'm not feeling like it's just you're not that guy, bro. Unfortunately, you are not. Numbers are numbers are numbers. You know what I mean? Like they don't lie. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he's 34% from free at the moment, again, excluding garbage time. So if you want to shoot freeze, I get it. You're only a couple. It sounds 34% sounds bad, but I remember five, six years ago, we were okay with 34%. 
Now we want 37, 38. Yeah, but when, but when you factor in threes versus twos and that percentage difference, that yeah. that that increases it there. So that, shoot, that that's an easy case to make right there, I think. I mean, all mid-range, he's shooting 28% yeah, from all mid- over the mid-range, which, which goes from four feet away from the basket all the way up to the free throw line. So if you're only shooting 28% on twos, you might as well just jack up more threes and then get to the rim. He's, he's finishing 65% of his shots at the rim. So just play more reball freeze and freeze and layups. That's all you need. And then, you know, do you do you play making in that mid-range area? And for me, that's kind of what I've wanted from him. And this mid-range game that he's got was one of my primary concerns coming into the season. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's something they'll work on. But like you said, it's, it's been a big part of his DNA you know, since well before coming here to the Celtics. So I think we'll have to see, you know, how that plays out. Sometimes with a guy who's been in the league eight years or, or some eight or nine years, I don't know how long Schroeder's been in the league. Now, it is kind of hard to get out of, of that mentality, but we have seen it happen before. You know, Brooke Lopez was a post player. Now he only shoots threes. So, you know, but also there probably is times where he should play in the post. So, you know, you get, you get to find times where where you, you hit an adjustment and, you know, we'll see if that happens with Schroeder. If Blake Griffin can redevelop his game, then Dennis Schroeder has no excuse. I mean, that's what I'm saying. There, there's there's plenty of examples of it happening. There's other examples Usually of it not right. happening, but yeah. So it's and especially in like the modern examples, they're going to be usually more big because of how dramatically the game has changed for them. Um, but we'll see. Like we said, he's kind of a necessary evil at this point with some of his erratic play. But I got to say this: he's not boring, man. He's not boring, oh, he's so and it's it, like it, it does make the games quite a bit more enjoyable from this a standpoint of I just don't know what's going to happen. I have no idea from a, from not even a night to night, but from a quarter to quarter and possession to possession, you have no idea what's coming. He is fun. I can't deny it, man. I really can't. <laughs> but at the same time, I'm just like, man, you frustrate me so much. Like, do you ever watch um, Big Bang Theory? Not a huge fan. I have seen it before, but yes. Okay, so there's a scene in there, and I'm a huge Big Bang Theory guy. There's a scene in there where uh, Sheldon gets really frustrated with Leonard and imagines he's the Flash and he runs over into like the Grand Canyon and screams, "How hey, you frustrate me!" And like he echoes and echoes and echoes. Yeah. And in my head, I do that with Schroeder a bunch. <laughs> like I'm, I'm just screaming into like this massive void, just like what? But then there's other times where I'm like, dude, for the money you're paying him, this guy is a serious deal. Yeah. Serious deal. I don't care about. Okay, the numbers don't look great. It's still early in the year. You have to add add context into these as well. Exactly. Like, you know, when you look at these numbers and I try and preach this to everybody, the percentages don't tell you when in the shot clock, those shots were taken, what the defensive coverage was like, what the flow of the offense looked like mm-hmm. at that time. Mm-hmm. There's a, a lot more context you need to add into these percentages. And to do that, you need to go back and rewatch the games or you can find stats or tell you this and then try and piece together the, the, the kind of, narrative of where he's how his shots are kind of being defended but in general like he's creating a bunch of separation so i don't think there's much ex- uh, excuse there but i do understand why he's getting an underpaying pritchard and that's really hurting me to say because yeah. i want more pritchard I want more Pritchard as well. Last night was an example of a game where I kind of understood Ime's thinking and not not really playing Pritchard. I don't think the Raptors, with their length and their size, are probably a great matchup for for Pritchard. But yeah, I mean, I, th- there's times where I get it. I'm, I'm with you though. I still want to see more Pritchard, but that's a, let's table that conversation for now. We, we, we've hammered that home 
a lot and there's going to be more times for us to, to really circle back on that if Pritchard continues not to get playing time in some of these future games um, but you know something I did want to talk about let's talk about Jason Tatum for a few minutes here man I, you know, the field goal percentage. This. Yeah, the field goal percentage wasn't great again last night. Eight of twenty-four. Did go three of seven from from the three-point line. Only four free throw attempts. Although I like, I am encouraged. I feel like he's driving the ball. And if you look at his shot chart, you can see that that he's taking a lot of his shots free throw line down. And so he is getting into the lane. He's just not quite getting those calls. And that's kind of a, a whole league thing. And there's, you know, you got to maybe we'll look into that more a little bit later. But his passing last night was great, man. Him being a facilitator, him finding open looks. I know he had seven assists, and I think he had up to, I was about 16 or 17 potential assists last night in the game. Uh, his passing last night was, was one of the more encouraging things. And his rebounding and the way he affected the game without being his best version of himself offensively scoring the ball, I thought was very encouraging for, for Jason Tatum here going forward. It was a complete performance. If you ignore the shooting slump, right? Like he well did. Put, well put. Yeah. I think that's the best way to look at it. It was one of his more complete performances of the season, arguably one of the first times in his career that he's looked like he is figuring out how to be a complete threat. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's yeah. a huge difference. Like I, I could settle for a 24-point-a-night Jason Tatum if he's giving you close to a triple-double on a nightly basis because that completeness is more important to yeah. me. You know, if Tatum averages 30 but only gets two assists, I'd much rather him average 24 and average between 8 and 11 assists because obviously just team scores more that way. Yeah, you know, when you're, I, you're looking I'm, for the Grant Hill, the 25, 7, and 7. Yeah, something like that, you know, a complete performance. And I think this was the closest we've seen Tatum get to it this year, at least. There have been other times where he's looked like he's figuring it out. And obviously, consistency is what's going to be that helps him take that next leap towards superstardom. I pulled up his, like, uh, his play types for this game against Toronto. So 21.4% of his offense came off catching drives. Someone feeds him the ball, he catches it, drives, and then he either, he's either going to look to shoot or he's going to look to kick it out. And we saw him do that a bunch in the first half. He was getting the ball, driving towards the paint, and then just swinging it to the weak side corner. And there was consistency there. It was working. The Celtics seem to have this really nice hammer screen that they're running to get that three-point shot in the corner open consistently. I'm very happy with it. like it very much. Obviously, isolation then comes next for Tatum, 17%, nearly, well, 17.9%. But then post-ups. You know, and I feel like posting up has become more prevalent in Tatum's game this yeah. year. Um, I like what, and I like the fact that he's not settling for these kind of bump fadeaways. He's face, he's posting guys up, he's facing up, then he's driving and kicking, or he's looking to attack the rim and draw fouls. That's really impressive to me as well. I really do like that um, that post up because post up's dying, and I want it to stay alive for as long as possible. <laughs> um, defensively he split his time between guarding, guarding guys that were going to catch and shoot or drive in transition and he wasn't scared to get in the post up as well so I think that this is Tatum is trying to evolve his game and I, I do think that he's letting it come to him a bit more over the last two three or two or three games instead of like at the beginning of the year it looked like he was forcing a lot he was forcing yeah. his way to the rim trying to force those finishes now he seems content to take what the defense gives him and kind of just be 
again, a complete player. And if this is the version of Jason Tatum we get for the rest of the year, then the Celtics are going to be fine. Yeah, I, I I couldn't agree more with with what you just said right there. And I feel like in Jason Tatum's evolution, having these days where this, his team gets a very comfortable win, you know, this game really wasn't ever really in too much doubt. The Raptors cut it to about eight, I think either the third or early fourth. But other than that, there really wasn't too much of a scare. And it wasn't an A-plus Jason Tatum game. It was a solid Jason Tatum game, but it wasn't an A-plus Jason Tatum game. And I think for him, as he looks to to think about how he takes those those next steps as a star, as a superstar, you know, within the league, when these games where he's not the best version of himself, but he's contributing in multiple ways and still putting up 22 points, which is, you know, nothing, you know, that's still a good mark for him to go ahead and put up. Like, that's his next step. How does he take these average nights where he might be checked out? He might be, you know, hopefully not 7 of 30 again, but 8 of 24, not quite as bad, but still finding other ways to contribute and have a real impact on the game. So to your point of him letting the game come to him more, I feel like there's a lot less or, yeah, a lot fewer four shots last night. And I think that's a really encouraging sign when you look at this team and there's six guys in double digits last night against a pretty good defensive team in the Toronto Raptors, despite their lack of size. Having six guys in double digits and being able to spread that wealth, especially without Jalen Brown in there to really support you as another guy that can put up 30 points, that's going to be crucial over this next week or two stretch where he's going to be the main guy and need the support of those other five or six guys that can go ahead and get some double double digit scoring games. And the other thing is as well, the, the, like for me, the only downside to this version of Tatum that we're seeing at the moment is the volume. It, it, it's the lack of conversion on the volume of shots that he's taking, right? Like this is my biggest problem. So in one breath, I'm like, I can live with a 24-point a night, Jason Tatum. But if I'm living with that, I need that volume to decrease quite drastically. To be more efficient. Yeah, like, you know, take... 14 shots, 15 shots to get to the 20, mm-hmm. whatever it needs to be. But if you're shooting 24 field goal attempts, and this is the version of Jason Tate and Mudoka once where he is sitting around that 20 to 25 um, field goal attempts a, a game, then once he, once they start to fall for him consistently, we will be looking at like a 30, 32, 10, and 6 guy every night. Yeah, That to me is all NBA level or getting close to an all NBA level guy. If these rebounds and the playmaking stay where they are, and then he just increases, well, he doesn't even need to increase his efficiency. They just need to start falling. Yeah. And he's going to be, he's going to be right there with some of the best wings in the league. For me again, though, the only downside is at the minute he, he took 24 shots. That's a huge shooting volume when it's not falling. Um, but he was looking for other guys too, so I don't know how much I can actually yeah, knock him. I, I can't complain too much on it, and I, I feel good about over these last couple games where Jason Tatum's trajectory is taking him as far as getting back on track. Uh, I look at that three for seven from three. I find that very encouraging going forward here, and that's going to be what I choose to to take away from his shooting performance is just focusing on that three of seven and kind of looking the other way on that eight of 24 overall. Yeah, because that's going to start falling. Eventually, these are going to drop. Yeah, there's too much evidence of him as an elite scorer this early in his career for it not to come back around. It's just it's one of those things. It's going to take a little bit of time. It's a little bit of a shooting slump. I'm not. I I found it hard to get too riled up about it. But do you think the assists are going to be like you know between five 
and six a game by the end of the season as like an average. I mean, that I don't know. That's the part where if that's real, to your point, that's that's one of the things that, along with his rebounding, which I think he's rebounding at eight a game right now, I think that's real. I, yeah, think, him being, I, I think him being eight, maybe even getting up to, to nine at some point, even not this year, but later years, eight to ten, I don't think that's out of play right now. I think that's very, very real. Uh, the five, six assists, I mean, like, if he can get to that, that's going to start to put him into another echelon of player to go along with that 25, 26, 27, 28 points per game, whatever whatever he ends up at. Uh, I, I'm encouraged by the signs to say he's going to end up with five or six average for you know per game for the season. That's a pretty lofty number. It doesn't seem like a lofty number, but it's, it's pretty hard it's to, to get. It's, it's pretty big. That's not easy to get there. So, you know, I, I think him getting to even just, you know, four to five for this year would be a solid mark for me that I'd be very happy with. And then we start to get, once you crawl above that five, you're starting to get to into, you know, I don't want to say elite playmaking category, but you're certainly, you know, you're in that uh, qualified upper tier. upper tier. Yeah, that's a good way to put it, playmaking territory. I think the only other guy I want to touch on real quick, and I did, just again, I know I said a, a lot about Tatum and some of it was contradictory. Yeah. I still think it was just to clear myself up. I think it was his most complete form performance of the year. And the only issue I've had, which I've had all season, is the volume of shots where the conversion's not there. But that's not exactly Tatum's fault either. If the ball's not falling, the ball's not falling. The quality of the shots have been perfectly fine yeah. for the most part. So, you know, that'll work itself out. The it's, only it's, other guy... it's the new ball, Adam. Once once he gets the feel of the new ball, he'll, he'll be okay. It genuinely could be. I mean, it could I know be. I people have talked out. about it, but yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm not happy with that um, discussion. I think that, you know, a basketball's a basketball, but I know that that's not the truth, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I play with like um, a Baden. Have you ever played with a Baden ball? I haven't played with a Baden. No, I'm not, not familiar with that brand. So a Baden is like, um, it's super smooth. Like, mm-hmm. really, like for me, I like. um. I like a bit of grip. I like to be able to oh, feel the grip. Oh, sure. for sure. That's the shooter grip. You need the shooter yeah. grip. Yeah. A Baden is super smooth. So, like, um, I, I can't, my release on jump shots just isn't good with a Baden ball. And, mm-hmm. like, a, it's just because you have to readjust because it slips out your hands. So, you need yeah. to snap your wrist more, you know, to get that, to get that same spin. And um, I'm not about to give my, my wrist whiplash, so um, I can't play <laughs> with them. So I do understand at the same time, you know, if the ball's different and you've been playing, you've been succeeding one way and now you need to change your mechanics a little bit to adjust for the way the ball spins or how you put the rotation on that ball. That takes time, dude. Yeah. And I know that sounds like putting on an excuse, but go play the Baden ball and then see what happens. Do you remember like several years ago, the NBA, I think it was a just a different version of the Spalding ball they were using, but it didn't have kind of that cross seam on the like on the side of the ball do you remember when they when they switched over to this? this was another issue of them adjusting to the ball i can't remember how many years ago it was now but i know that i've shot around with the ball like you know the one that you can buy at a sporting goods store but that same version of that ball and it was really different it was really different than using you know whatever wilson evolution ball that i that i had been using before and then switching to this spalding ball that it it, it just once it has a different feel it is going to take time it's a really weird thing to think about when you're talking about NBA level players playing with the best equipment, the best resources, you know, that you could find to actually go play a basketball game. But, you know, like I said, many people across the NBA have said it. So we'll see. But by the end of the year, I think you'll start to see shooting. People get used to it. And some of the numbers will reflect that. Water finds its level, bro. (laughs) Water finds its level. I mean, the only guy I want to touch on, we'll touch on him real quick. Is uh, Josh Richardson. I think this was another great game for Jay Rich. 55.6% from the field, 50% from free. Hit, what, three rebounds, an assist, three steals, and a block. And that block was nice as well. That was a nice little block. It was a chase down, wasn't it? It was off um, Mm -hmm. 
off the glass. Uh, I think Richardson, like, uh, he's definitely a serviceable veteran, right? Like, he's definitely up and down. I don't think he's consistent as what you want him to be, or he hasn't been to this point in his Celtics career. He did say that his body's feeling great. It wasn't feeling great to start the year. So maybe that plays a bit of a role there itself. But I think Josh Richardson, the last couple of times that he's played a, a decent amount of minutes, has been a very, very serviceable rotation player that you should be happy with. Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing for him is that defensively, he's been amazing these last couple of games. His aggression, his assertion, his ability to just use his length in the lane, get in the passing lanes, uh, to, to, to bother shots has been a big part of why that defense has been so good over the last couple of games. I think for him, what it comes down to of when you can keep him on the court versus not, we talked about you know the lineups that have had him, Smart, Schroeder, Lobb, and Tatum. That's not a lot of shooting out there. We've talked a lot about that. So if he can go for a night where he's five of nine, he's two of four from three, that's going to allow him to be able to be on the floor and be more effective. It's, it's you know, what can you get from him on that offensive end where he looks more comfortable with the ball in his hands playing in transition. But when you're in the half court, what can you get out of Josh Richardson? That's going to make or break the amount of minutes that that he can really get. And he played 33 minutes last night. So you can tell in this next week or two with uh, Jalen Brown being out, he's going to get a, a bulk of those minutes uh, to go ahead and replace Jalen Brown. It's going to be a committee doing it, but he's certainly going to get an elevated opportunity here. And if he can continue to knock down shots at a reasonable rate, just enough to be a threat or be able to, you know, when he gets the ball, if someone goes to close out, be able to create a secondary shot either for himself or for someone else. That's going to allow him to be super effective. And that's kind of the Josh Richardson that we were hoping to get, a guy that can continue to be another playmaker. And we know that defensively he was going to be a guy that really fits Emei's system, especially having a past relationship with him in Philly. Yeah, I think the only question I've got there is like, what happens when Jalen Brown is back? Yeah, and we're asking Josh Richardson to do all of this on a, a far smaller scope in terms of minutes. That's where I find that that's ha- that the, the biggest challenge, and only the elite role players can do it consistently. Where you're still able to make an impact. Obviously, your scoring is not going to be as um as as like inflated. it's not going to be the same volume. Yeah, it's yeah. not going to be as inflated. But your defensive effort and aggression, well, you don't you can just come in and provide that, and that spark in itself will change the dynamic of a game or the flow of a game. And my biggest question is, I love seeing Richardson do what he's doing right now. I love seeing him perform. And I'm happy for the guy, man, because he's had a rough few years, you know, just suffered for a, for a couple of seasons, not really being played in the right positions, not really being played in the right schemes. So he's getting an opportunity now to play towards his strength. But when Jalen Brown's back, you have to be able to do that on smaller minutes and still make a similar level of impact with the bench unit. And if he does that, then the early extension was uh, was genius by Brad Stevens. If he does, if he's not able to do that, while well, the early extension was still genius by Brad Stevens because now he's a valuable asset to flip towards the trade deadline. But I think at the moment he's re- he's looked really good. His off ball movement's great. Defensive intensity is great. Re- no understands how when to switch. Understands when to stay at home. Um, communicates well mm-hmm. and he's just another veteran presence i think romeo langford will learn a lot from josh richardson actually in terms of defense and defensive communication yeah romeo had a nice game last night as well but you know i, I think the josh richardson point of what happens when jalen brown comes back that's a that's a problem for future adam and future will to figure out these are the problems that i walk myself through every day and they get, <laughs> they're sometimes like uh, i'll be driving and i'll be like well what happens if this happens and what happens and then i'm like dude i don't i don't even remember getting home 
Yeah. Just, you know, you just all of a sudden you're at your door, you have the key, and then you're like, wait a minute, how did I get here? Yeah, I don't know what, what happened the last 15 minutes in my head. I've like traded Josh Richardson seven times. I've he's become a core rotation starter 11 times. He's you know, he's been he one six man of the, of the year at one point. We've been all over yeah, the place. I've been everywhere, dude. Now the guy's retired and like he's doing this Captain America thing where he's living his life back in time. Like, hey man, your, your speak, mind speaking, plays of, speaking of Captain America, after after we finish recording here, I'm actually I'm gonna go see the Eternals tonight. So we may have to we may have to talk about that in a future podcast here. Fun fact, man. I bought the Eternals um comic book when they first started coming out, man. I'm waiting to see if the if the uh the value spiked. I haven't looked yet. But mine <laughs> I've got mine graded as well. So I'm hoping because there's a movie. Yeah, will, uh... I mean it should I'll be honest. I so I'm one of these weird Marvel fans that I, I didn't read comic books at all growing up. Of course I had heard of the big ones, you know, Spider Man, Hulk, Iron Man, stuff like that. But I didn't know much of the genesis of it. I didn't follow it. I didn't read it. But I am so deeply hook, line, and sinker into the MCU that they just, no matter what they put out there, I could see that it's straight garbage on every review site. Take my money. Here's my credit card. Here's my info. Take it. I'm going to watch it. I'm going to buy it. I'm going to go see it. So I am all in on the MCU, and I'm excited to see what the Eternals is like tonight. See, I know someone, and I will end on this. And I want your opinion if you're the same. Yeah. But my taste in movies must be god awful because whatever the critics don't like, I love. I'm like, how could you give this two stars? This was excellent. This was brilliant. And then I watch them at their says critically acclaimed, and I'm like, this is absolute garbage, dude. Yeah, like, I have. I, I have that happen sometimes. No, I have that happen sometimes, and that's why, like, uh, that's why, like, uh, Rotten Tomatoes is a good website because they do have like the critic side. Then they have like the fan review. And I feel like a lot of times you'll see the critic review is, I don't know, 60%. And then the the fan review is like 85%. And so sometimes critics are just looking. And there's, and there's times where like I'll see a movie, like to your point, that critics love. And I'm like, listen, I get it was artistic, but at the same time, it wasn't interesting. So you tell me, is it worth my love money actually, to go to the movie? Love oh, actually, That's a fantastic yeah. movie. Where, where you are you going so? with this? Oh, my God. Nah, I'm not a fan of Love Actually at all. Oh, that's dude. my favorite Christmas movie. Really? I watch it every Christmas. Every I'm single alone. Christmas. I'm a Home Alone guy. For I like Christmas. Home Alone, too. I'm not I'm, I'm not saying I don't, but <laughs> but Love, dude, I, I know Love Actually is, like, very basic and, like, so typical, but I love that movie. I think it's awesome. Really? I'm just I like, do. man, that was acclaimed, and I'm like, that's <laughs> as good as well it is, man. I just don't like, but then again, like, you know, I'll sit through an entire 10 Fast and Furious movies back to back to back to back to back and just be living my best life. <laughs> so what do I know? I'll, I'll I got to I gotta pick and choose my Fast and Furious movies. I can't do all of them, but there's a handful of them I do like. Fast Five is the best one, in my opinion. I like, and I don't, not many people have seen it, but have you ever seen the prelude between Fast One and Fast Two? There's a, I didn't even know this existed. It's like a, it, it was like a, an extra on like the DVD version back in the day. And so is it like just, a, so is it like a short or is it like how the MCU does like an extended scene for two minutes? So it's about two, three, four minutes long. It's like okay. a scene, so and it's like, it's, scene like, like it's what happens when Paul Walker leaves Toretto, uh, gives Toretto the car, and it's what happens to Walker from when he's left Toretto's gone mm-hmm. to how he ends up in Miami and how he ends up with Ludacris and with that crew and it kind of fills in that gap right 
And I'm like, man, so many people like didn't see that and then kind of went into Fast 2. Uh, not not seeing this and understanding the link yeah. between them and why Ludacris became such a big part of the franchise. I'm like, man, if you ain't seen like if you ain't seen that, you can't talk to me about Fast and Furious one and two. We'll start a number. <laughs> we'll start after Tokyo Drift. But uh, I'm a big big fast fast fan. I don't know why because I'm not like the most action blow it all up type of dude. But I'm like, yo, this is fun, dude. I mean, they're about to take a car to the moon, I assume, in the next one. So we'll have to see see where they go because they've done everything else at this point. It's the last one, huh? Fast Ten's the last one. Oh, is it the last one? It's the fa- dude. The fact that they've gotten ten movies out of this is insane. Yeah, dude. The fact, like, it's uh, but then you're gonna get the spin-offs, right? So they've talked about doing. They've like, already uh, had some, haven't they? Yeah, so you've had to Hubs and Shaw, but they're talking yeah. like I've heard rumors of like the Ludacris and um Tyrese. The, yeah, Tyrese doing spin-offs of just them two, and <laughs> like that would be fun. I'd watch that as well. I mean, anyway. Fast, Fast and Furious. It's like the MCU, but just for cars. Yeah, and I'm not even a big fan of cars, but I'm like, <laughs> like you ever watch Supernatural? Uh, I don't think so. So I'm enormously big fan of Supernatural. I've seen it. There's like a, God knows how many episodes, and I've seen all of them at least twice. Mm-hmm. And they drive around in a Chevy Impala, and uh, I decided to look at how much um, an old school Chevy Impala would cost me here. And when I saw the price, I was like, I've got my life dream to save up and afford a Chevy Impala. It's like forty-five grand. <laughs> I was like, I drive it once a decade. But anyway, we kind of got off track. Um, what a what a, a way to end that podcast. Sheesh. You've got a movie to go to. Sheesh. I was like, sheesh. Um, <laughs> everybody, thank you for listening. Happy Friday. I hope you guys are all going to the movies later. As usual, five star review. Nice things, please. If you can't do that, tell everybody. If you don't tell everybody, I'm going to be really sad because I tell everybody and I do it for you. Will, enjoy yourself at the movies, man. We'll be back here on Monday. Ain't disrespecting you haters. I ain't sweating your opinion. Y'all been testing my patience. Never did it for a check. I've been impressed with the famous. Just rather be creative than stressing my wages. Ageless every time I lay a verse down. One play at a time. Keep it moving like a first down. And at the end of the day, I can say that I made this. MJ never made it to the major. Still, he chased greatness. Expected that he might fail. And I might too. I might never get to pop champagne. Celebrating with the crew. This ain't everything I am. It's something that I do.